This idea grave is brought to you by huge stacks of moleskin notebooks. Also black coffee. Kicking horse organic coffee. Drinkable coffee. So yeah, how do you how do you do this? I'll just talk. Okay. Choice between you can either have your buds or the clams. Okay, so we're going to decompress and start again. Get back into that college spirit. When I first came out of college, there was all this like momentum when it came to the Toronto art scene. Everybody was really keen on starting things and gallery shows and um, making bands. And there was a lot of like really awesome, pretension-free, expectation-free collaboration. Was this was on. this like come up to my room, getting started in, in Canzine, and mm -hmm. was this like yeah? At that time, uh, Film Four that Winston yeah, was running, yeah, all of that stuff yeah. was 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 really special. And then I felt like after Rob Ford got elected, <laughs> the tiny little bits of conversation that people would have, the 15 minutes a day that you sit down with your colleagues or like with your friends and you talk about the big picture, Toronto, what can we do? All of those little spaces got filled up with scandal about Rob Ford. Yeah, in my case, it was way more than 15 minutes. Like at like where where I work at, at this co-working space, like we would talk about Rob Ford for hour like when there when there was like a when he would do a press conference or something mm -hmm. we would like all stream it and and it, you're right you're right like that sucked up so much of the conversation because it's it's just it's it's like such a small part of the week that you, people actually talk about these kinds of projects and i felt like i could i could see the momentum noticeably decline a lot of people dropped out of the arts people moved off to montreal cuz they were bummed out people went crazy um, and so I wanted to, to start to um, just like see if I could start knitting some of that back together again <laughs> in my own small way. So it's like, yeah, hey, let's get together, have a conversation. What do you want to do? What's the dream? How you want to? How do you want to build it? Jeez. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's in it's, since I since I sort of gotten into the indie game thing. Like there is like a sense of that community building, like the mm -hmm. future, like everybody's sort of like making things and like gearing towards this future. Um, that is really kind of neat. Like it is that like it feels like a scene, like from the inception of a, of a, of a scene, and and already you can see like there's different generations in it yeah. from like over the past what five years or something. There's like different generations and and people you know going first, and then people like oh I want to do what they did. Yeah. Um, so there, there's something like that, but it, yeah, like, I mean, I don't, it is very much in inside games and it's like a lot of programmers and it doesn't, it's not really connected to the art scene as much. I don't find, except for a few, a few people that, that are artists and yeah. doing that. Well, it's a much more, I, that would totally make sense to me because it's a, it's a much more fringe kind of thing, right? Like that's always the missing piece that everybody who wants to do gaming is looking for right they're like well but do you know a programmer yeah. where can we find a program we could do the art but we just need somebody to program as if that's like a small yeah. task to, to to ask yeah let's go on yeah. craigslist somebody will do it for 25 bucks right <laughs> well, it'll take you a weekend to program this yeah. game i have a really good idea all i need is someone to program and make the art and release it and yeah Basically, it's about squares, and uh, they have funny hats, and the squares move across the screen, and they have to capture 
it's like World of Warcraft, except that it's like cat people, and it's, uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, the the epic fantasy, <laughs> uh, where somebody's it's like, I want to make Skyrim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How hard is that? Um, I guess it's, it's, it's in... Making like maybe it's coming from like illustration too. Like I went to Sheridan for illustration, and and coming from that, like this idea of like these small projects. Although I shouldn't say that because the game I'm on now is taking like three years. But <laughs> that idea of like small projects to keep things small, um, and just churn stuff out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't. I think it's a, that's that's a current way to think now because uh, as much as big blockbuster titles have kind of dominated the the press and things like that um i i found like i never finished skyrim i didn't finish uh uh half-life or uh, fallout 3 i didn't finish um the new one fucking dragon age Inquisition. yeah are you sure it's not just because you're old now it might be <laughs> but i got this i hit this wall where i started to find like all of the quests obnoxious yeah and i realized that i had spent 99 hours just wandering around collecting herbs and like <laughs> slashing man skyrim when i was playing that like you get all these like little blips on your on your hud and it's like oh you have to do this you have to do this you have to and it starts feeling like work and like mm-hmm. i have real work i should be doing exactly um but yeah yeah so I, I like I like short games mm-hmm, totally and you get you get back into that um that retro um, Nintendo kind of feel where something the story and the characters were kind of just as important as the the game play in a funny way like the instruction book like you'd mm-hmm. be like oh oh I'm I'm this character and I'm fly- piloting this spaceship and oh oh the enemy's this guy and and yeah just sort of make it up around this little white spaceship or something mm-hmm or like the idea that you know, oh, you clear Sonic in a certain time, and you get all the Chaos Emeralds, and then you get like Gold Sonic, and he's invincible, and this kind of the idea of hidden items, I yeah. think, is is a really special part of old school games. Yeah, well, that was before the internet. You could actually have hidden items, mm-hmm. and and it would tie into like schoolyard rumors, and someone, you know, you know, there's all nude nude secrets, all these nude secrets, yeah. but yeah. Were you ever tempted when you were a little kid to make up your own like secret in the game that didn't actually exist? <laughs> no, I don't. That never occurred to me. I was just, I, it just, yeah. No, I'm too boring. I had um, a friend named Charles in my school in grade four, and we would nerd out um, doing an alternate version of like Mega Man, where we invented like all new character levels and oh, stuff. Oh shit, I did that. I had mm-hmm. like a deck of cards of like Mega Man bosses that, that I would make up and their stats and their powers that you get from them. We had uh, Casino Man, he had like a big roulette <laughs> wheel for a head that would spin around and then he'd do like extra damage if it like landed on a certain thing. And... Uh, I think I had Cactus Man, he was like in a cactus suit and yeah. Fire needles back and yeah, forth. Yeah, clever stuff. But yeah, that's. Um, I think that that was. My, Jessica's been teaching art classes, and I always get like super excited whenever anybody is doing. They have like a, a, a captive audience, and they're going to be giving them projects. I'm always like, oh, I should totally have them like design a video game with like the characters and things and art direct it and stuff. It's so much more fun than uh, painting a still life or yeah, yeah. whatever it is. Uh, yeah, that would be a dream project. How did you did uh, did your first games kind of start in that area? Did 
did you have like a lot of ideas for concepts that you worked on for a long time before you decided like oh I just gotta I gotta program it now or yeah kind of like like uh, I don't know probably like loads of loads of artists like who grew up playing video games it's like oh if only I could make a video game too bad I'm not a real programmer too bad I'm not actually any kind of a programmer and I can't do this so you just sort of noodle on characters that look like they're from a video game or or whatever and even stuff that I get I like I didn't grow up drawing too much fan art or anything like that but uh, still it's always in the back of your mind um yeah I did a lot of like mazes and stuff too like uh I, I love drawing like those 3D mazes where it's like, oh, you're going through this little basement and now you're in a cave and now you climb up this rope and, and like that kind of kids like maze stuff. I did some of that for like Owl Magazine too, cool. eventually. But uh, so it came, like it came from there and then I started doing some indie game stuff. Um, but just, you know, defaulting to pixel art like way back in like 2006, 2007, because that's what you'd see on the internet and mm-hmm. you, you didn't, I didn't sort of make that connection that you could draw anything and put it in a video game and i think it was harvey chan did you ever have harvey chan yeah yeah he was he saw what i was doing once at sheridan and he was like oh this is this is cool but why don't you you know you've got all this other drawing that you've been doing for the last five years why don't you pull some of that into this little game that you're making and just and then i was bridge like bridge the gap oh yeah why don't i i am that's, an illustrator that's not a bad idea direct this yeah i found it's it's such a funny thing like uh you know Matt and I both went to Sheridan College for illustration, and at the t- when you start in year one, your instructors are kind of like, okay, so the journey is beginning, your design and art education. Most of you will not end up illustrators, and boy, was that true. Yeah. But it's, it's totally not a waste of time, because like there is so much overlap between all of the creative disciplines, I find. If you know how to do synthesis where you can take two unlike things and combine them together into a new kind of symbol if you understand color if you understand um originality and all that kind of stuff it applies to a thousand things and the ability to like talk about what you're making and and Mm -hmm. communicate with someone else and be like okay here's this thing they're supposed to look at it and see this and this and this is that working for you like feel like that critique process like that's all 100 percent like everything and there was kind of a funny um business side to illustration that was under the surface the whole time that we were there where it's like we're making things that people are going to use yeah. or blank or it's yeah a, it's for an audience it's for some it's for someone else it's, keep going on. it's yeah like like you want to make something you want to find the overlap between what you want to make and what other people want to take in like it's it's not just like if you're making something it's the reason I'm putting it on paper or whatever is for someone else to see it. Yeah, there's a social side to it where um I remember back in the schoolyard when you're drawing all of the mazes on graph paper or whatever, half of the fun is like you're entertaining yourself by telling out the story, but then you want to pass it to somebody else and go like oh, this yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they give you suggestions and you get like brain sparks and you go like, Oh yeah, there totally should be a snake pit. That's a great idea. <laughs> Um, and it's the total opposite attitude from like the stuffy um, gallery kind of vibe that some people get locked into where you're going to a show and um, you walk into the space and um, somebody comes up to you and they say like, oh, I really like your painting. They remind me of, um, you know, blank artist from L.A. 
And the person, you get all seized up. You go like, "What? It's not wholly original. This was my special child that I that I raised from from early on, and I I honed it, and I I tried to avoid any kind of like connection to um, the current art scene. Yeah. And uh, you wonder, like, the thing that surprised me is I was totally wrapped up in that when I was in illustration, and uh, there was kids in our class that were really into the graffiti scene, like early Banksy stuff. And there was kids that were into the early, like um, uh, psychedelic stuff coming out of Los Angeles, like so mm-hmm. Joe Soren and yeah, all of that. Yeah, yeah. And um, they had very clear influences and ties to that work because they wanted to be part of that, um, that scene. And I remember um, some of my friends and myself, I felt like kind of snobby about that, where it's just like, whoa, they're not trying to do their own thing. They're not original. Their work just looks like yeah. Joe Storen or Mark yeah. Ryden. And then I was so surprised, like, after I got out of school, um, the funny thing that, that happens is that if you are doing work that is part of a, a tradition or has um, existing people that care about it, you end up being able to do cool things like let's put together a group show, let's submit stuff to Juxtapose magazine, let's do this, let's do that. Yeah, and your work ends up getting its own identity mm-hmm. anyway. Like, as you turn into an adult and, and continue to make work, like it's inevitable almost that you're going to end up going off in some other direction. Just by the nature that you made it. Yeah, your fingerprints yeah. are going to be in the dough. Like Even if you tried your hardest to, to copy exactly something that you were into for nefarious purposes... Some, an expert could look at it and go like that wasn't done by Nintendo this is this is fake yeah, Mario yeah. you know like somebody makes a calculator where you play Super Mario yeah. Brothers or whatever in your browser and you go like it's kind of right yeah it doesn't yeah. feel quite right yeah like or like the, I remember those cartridges of like a hundred games on one cartridge you put it in and they're like eh, something weird about this uh, yeah you'd have uh, you'd have a lot of things like that were kind of like Paperboy or kind of like Mario Brothers or just a little yeah. bit too weird. You know, Diver Man. He, <laughs> he goes down and he he, uh, he finds marine salvage and tries to put it on a boat. This sounds awesome. Um, you can but, have that one. Yeah, but no, yeah, like like in, yeah, totally in college, I was like, okay, well, I like, I like Gerald's scarf, but I only want to be, you know, 35% Gerald Scarf, but no more. And, like, you sort of weigh all these influences and you figure, okay, I'm halfway between this person and this person, and and it's just sort of ridiculous. And then, I guess for me, like, part of getting over that was, was uh, going into animation, and when I started doing animation and, and more game stuff, mm-hmm. like, there's so many technical considerations suddenly that I'm worrying about that I didn't have to worry about before, like, just, just you know, technical animation, um, you know, principles of animation like just communicating and making your animation look good and and making your game work Mm -hmm. that all this technical stuff sort of occupied a chunk of my brain and the rest of it just sort of was more free in a way than calculating like okay what's my what's my vision who am i what's my style how do i draw a line how shaky is my line yeah is it a brush or a pen line oh no it expresses me more fully Uh um I remember, yeah. like, we both went into uh, post-grad to take uh, CGI stuff, and I remember being, like, so impressed with 
the level of like animation that you came out with right away like just on your early demo reels and stuff like that because i had such resistance going into fucking computer animation i'm like i don't belong in this scene i don't like (laughs) this thousand yard stare that all of you animators have you know you're way too nerdy you got all these like vinyl toys all over your computer stations you don't have a life you're here 16 hours a day all this stuff and so when it came time to the animation stuff, I was just like, oh, fucking animation walk cycles. I want to do something <laughs> original. I want to reinvent the walk cycle. I don't need to have good animation in order for something to work. And uh, I, I was so like, um, I was so excited when, when your stuff came out and you were applying the principles in a way that was like less ego-y. Like you were just kind of, you know, taking what works from it and like applying it to the thing that you wanted to do. And I could see, I could see like the alternative path oh. where it's just like somebody, uh, the, the thing that I did, I disliked about myself was that I couldn't just relax and take the tools that came from the past oh, and apply geez. it to the thing That's and flattering. just keep move on to the, to the, thing. I don't know. I, there was, I don't know that there was, I don't know. I was just, I was, cause I had been, I guess I'd been doing a bit of animation before that on, on the game stuff. And when I started like re- having my little characters walk around, I'm like, oh, that looks a bit wonky. I'm not sure. I was just when I started actually learning that stuff in in CG, like I was drinking that up like water. Mm. I couldn't get enough of it. I loved that so it Yeah, I don't know. I was just a nerd. I talked about it with Ilya. He had a funny arc because uh, he was he was living on a shelf in my basement for a while because we were all broke and stuff. And uh, he one day he was like. You know, I got to. I have to turn things around. I'm going to become an animator, and so he took a job like out in the Maritimes at this studio. And the way he describes it was that they they broke animation principles down into such clear steps, where like you're just emulating the arcs and getting the arcs right, and then the squash and stretch will take care of itself. And you just need to apply that to the different things, and you're good. He's like they felt like they could take a plumber into the thing somebody with no artistic background <laughs> and teach them how to be a great animator enough to, to work on a show or do a game or whatever and the thing I found uh, neat about that lesson was just um, trying to separate the art side of it from the toolbox that you need to, to make that art spread and make it be as polished as you can um, yeah yeah. Um, you don't need yeah. to apply the creativity to every single aspect of it. There's certain things. But that you want that to mechanics. that to be in your toolbox. You want it to be right there, right when you need it. To like, okay, this needs a little bit more snap to it, and just just grab that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny you should mention Ilya because I felt the same way. Like in when I was in Ilya's class, he would like. Like, he was just so on his own planet. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, oh, man, I'm so, like, look at me. I'm trying to please people. I'm like, you know, this is so gross. Um, but Ilya would just, like, drop these nuclear bombs um, of insanity. Uh, yeah. I, I, the thing that helped me, um, I, I remember when I was, uh, when I was living in a, a squat after college, Ilya would come over and he'd show us some of the, the communist cartoons that he grew up with from like the former oh, Soviet man. Union. And you watch it and it's it's so bizarre. Like you just have these complete non sequiturs where like the characters will be on an adventure and then all of a sudden like 
a psychedelic octopus comes out of the, the sky. <laughs> and the th- thing that was bizarre about it is like because it was, I think because of the communist ethos, there was no conflict. It was just characters that were coming in in sequence and then helping the protagonist do something. <laughs> like it was the opposite of what you'd normally see yeah. in Western where it's like kind of competition based. It was like the car broke down and then the psychedelic octopus gave him the parts to fix the car and then they go to this place and uh, they can't find their directions so this mole comes up out of the the asteroid and I'd love to see that bizarre like left beat after beat after beat and I feel like that that's kind of um, I feel like that's given him a little bit of it's in his DNA now, where he like he's he's much more capable of of abstract thinking than the rest of us, and so not self conscious. Like he doesn't Mm-mm. seem held back by self consciousness the way I feel a lot of the time. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you find that um, as you're getting older, that's that's going away? Oh or yeah, better at yeah, totally. Um, you just. I don't know. It's maybe it's just that I don't have time to worry about that stuff anymore. Mm. I don't have time to like sweat over my line. You know which pen nib is expresses me. Like it's just there's a deadline. Stuff's got to get done. Yeah, yeah. Um. What was the? Did you find that there was? I guess what you're expressing, like as soon as you start to get deadlines and and a little bit more structure to your business and stuff, you yeah, you just don't have time to to, to fuss about things too yeah. much. And it's kind of awesome, like. Like if like there's still the worry there, but you sort of like put it aside and be like, well, my job's just to hit this deadline. I can worry about it after whatever. My job's not to worry, and that's that's really nice. And I miss that about doing like commercial work, mm-hmm. um, like just job, 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 deadline, deadline, deadline. You, you know, you can put it aside on a, on a long project like this. It's like you can. There's time to sweat, but yeah. um, but it's no. You know, you, as as you get older, it sort of goes away. I felt like well, for a lot of music video stuff. I would just get used to the pattern of how I would design something that I hadn't done before. And then you get into the, like the first week where there's kind of a little bit of a panic that sets in where you're actually trying something and it's not working. But after you get like 10 or 15 projects in, you just realize, okay, this is a matter of just hitting my head against the wall until it cracks. Yeah. Because I've just been through this process a number of times and I know that, that's how it's happened before yeah so yeah. we'll just keep going and, yeah. s- and see what happens and then you get your first shot or your first little sequence of animation where it clicks and you go like ah that works now we can just apply you know when you when you see a working prototype of something how much it's so much easier yeah to just to be like, like okay understand then this, where it's this gotta should come go next there. and this should could go like this and this could be done like that yeah totally um and that that high, like once you once you crack it and you're like doing it, and it's like oh, it's so great. And then you do it for like another hundred times, and you're like, okay, well, it's time it's to so done with time this to move on. <laughs> when can I do something else? Then what was like, it like when you started doing video stuff? Like how, how, like that shift from from illustration to to, to video? Was it was. For you? I found it. It was um, point of view changing. Like it's going into CGI stuff, I couldn't believe like how starting to work with items in in three dimensions and um stuff that's where you apply the the time element to things it changes the way you think about stuff i started to understand form better i started to have my drawing got better like as you're working with like cubes and three dimensions and stuff you can see when your drawing is wonky in 2d um i started to get uh different ideas in that like 
you start to get much more interest in like world building or like I started to get more interest in word, world building where like you get into like the Maya space and you start to say like anything is possible in here. You can move from doing like photorealism to doing like complete abstract stuff and it's it's a medium that's only like 15 years old so yeah. there's so little work and and uh, it's the wide open spaces. Um, so I, I started right after... Um, taking uh sheridan uh cgi stuff i got way more interested in in film work like after that and um i started to find um that it was a it was a good medium for me because the thing i struggled with with sheridan was that i got like the the protestant work ethic from having a mom that like busted her ass (laughs) at tim hortons for 15 years and so i can't stop like when it comes to something where it's just a, a a pen and ink drawing for a magazine or whatever, I'm like, we at Sheridan they would give us four weeks to do it. Yeah, oh that and that like overworking it. And yeah, it. you that's totally that's totally me. Like I would have the same thing. Like I do something three times and like that one didn't work. Okay, draw the same thing again and like it seizes up more and more and more each time and it gets overworked and. I started in second year I was doing pen and ink stuff and I was like okay I want to do like kind of a tenial thing from else mm-hmm. in Wonderland but like a more contemporary version of that and then I would look at my neighbor's table and they'd be some doing something cool with gouache or they'd be doing something <laughs> cool with acrylics and stuff and I'm like I want to add that I want to have a style that allows me to yeah. do everything and so I would like paint all these <laughs> layers of gloss on the thing yeah. and build it up and it would just turn into this heavy awful <laughs> thing by the end and uh, I found that like once I moved into doing video stuff there's just too much work to yeah, overwork it yeah. so it like alleviated that a little <laughs> bit where it's like I gotta move on because I gotta do the edit and I gotta render it out it's gonna take six days so yeah. it, was, it was really helpful to my um, obsessiveness it like leveled that out a bit yeah yeah, yeah. that's totally my story too and um, I don't know. Did you so like once? What happened? What what was the path like after um, computer animation? Like, did you try to do the whole studio thing? Um, um, when did you start to feel the pull towards like wanting to do games and, and stuff? All right. Well, okay. So so I did illustration, and then I uh, finished the degree thing in illustration, mm-hmm. um, and I spent six months like not really knowing what I was doing. I was getting like a little bit of work, but not enough to pay the bills. And, well, I didn't have bills because I was living at my parents' house, so I didn't really have bills, but it wasn't enough to pay any bills if I had had them. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll do something that gets a job, I'll go to animation, that'll be cool, I always wanted to do that. So yeah, then I worked at Guru for a couple of years, uh, Guru uh, Studio, it's uh, like an animation studio. They do a bunch of kids' show stuff and TV commercials, uh, especially back then. Um, so I was I was in the commercials department, which was in a way a lot like Sheridan because it's like month every month there's a new job a new deadline you mm. have to like figure out some new technique about how you're how you're doing something it was a lot like school which was great um, and then a couple years after that uh, my wife my girlfriend then and I went traveling we stayed in London for like six months we traveled around Europe for a bunch uh, and just sort of blew some money and, and did some freelance work along the way and that was uh really really great and I was always sort of planning to go back into advertising after that but while we were on the road um, like uh, like before we left I, I 
made this big advertising demo reel and, and did a portfolio and a resume and all this stuff. And my LinkedIn was all ad- advertising <laughs> and it was really, really ready to go. Um, and then while we were on the road, it was like after a couple of weeks outside of that world where, um, cause when I was at the studio, I was like reading motionography every day and like really on top of everything. Um, and then a couple of weeks out, I was like, actually, I, I don't know. It's <laughs> like, it was like, it was like you get up above the clouds of, of your, of your life or whatever. And you're like, well, where do I, where do I want to go next? What, mm-hmm. what do I feel like doing? Um, and I felt like doing some game stuff, so I ended up getting some game freelance and, and working more on Gazintai, which was my first uh, game that I released. And yeah, like it was it, the big decision was I, I got offered like uh, when we were in London, I got offered um, a contract at, a, at an advertising studio in London, and I and I was like standing on this on this like edge of a edge of something, and I was like, do I? Do I do that? Do I go back in that, or do I like do this this game freelance? It's that's the other option, and I ended up picking the game stuff, and it f- still feels good. Yeah. Like, what was what was going through your head um, at that, that decision point? Like, did you have um, was there consequences? Like, what do you think was the worst that could happen if you if you took oh that that, time? that I'd have to make this decision again in three months? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it felt like a big decision at the time, but it totally wasn't. Like, because you just you know, finish that contract, and then you make it the decision again. And you have the the, the support system in place too. Like yeah, you your yeah. Partner, and you have yeah. your uh, you have a family. Yeah, like, worst like comes neither, to worst. Yeah, none of us are, are we're we're lucky enough that that we can go live with our parents. We won't be homeless. Like there's there's all this stuff in place that lets us make these like weird decisions like that. Yeah, totally. Um, really lucky. And then so when it came to Gazuntite, I remember there was an early version that you didn't browser. I feel like that was. You weren't still in Sheridan when that was going on. I, I was in Sheridan when that started. I was mm-hmm. doing the final degree thing. Uh, I, I swung that into like one of my independent projects. Yeah, uh, yeah, for, that's what I th- how I thought the yeah, hierarchy yeah, was. Yeah. And then it seemed like it was ported after and that. And then, yeah, and then I worked with a company um, called Reven- Revolutionary Concepts in Australia uh, to port it to iOS. Ah. Um, this was like, this was, when did we start? We started talking about it probably like, well, I guess it would have been. 2010 mm. so iphone was still like sort of new it was like this oh mobile mobile games it's it's like a uh, a gold rush it's it's uh, really great um so we did that and it came out for ios and then later for android as well um and it wasn't a gold rush but but whatever it was it was a cool game um it was fun and uh did you so find that, that um having that it seems like to me from listening to you it sounds like that initial beta version was an essential kind of thing oh yeah like you can go and like it's it's not just words on paper right no like yeah saying, it was, like, it was a it playable works. thing like mm-hmm. it was it was a thing you it was a game it had you know 30 levels and an ending and, and stuff um no it was yeah it was the it was the game and then we sort of ported that to ios and i got to because they were doing the programming and they're like i'm a terrible programmer because i'm totally self-taught and i don't know anything uh, but so they did the programming and I got a chance to like do a round two of all the artwork while they mm. were doing that, which was like a dream because a lot of the art and animation was from, you know, four years or well, yeah, three years earlier. Um, you had learned a lot of new yeah, principles to make yeah, it more polished. Yeah. And, and I think it was like, I think the, uh, retina ipad had just like was just coming out right then so i could do it like in 2048 by 1536 or whatever like these drawings because it was all all the artwork was from scanned like ink drawings and and scratchboard stuff 
so it could be like infinite resolution. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was really, really awesome. I remember watching, uh, you did a talk at one of the gaming uh, jams or get-togethers a few years ago where it was, uh, it was something super wonky. It was about like asset management. For asset management. Where like you were talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. You know how you have to keep a, a, a bottleneck on that, otherwise the game will be too Yeah, yeah, too yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right, like the, the cheats that you, can, that you can sort of do to reuse stuff. Um, was that things that you learned from um, contacts in the gaming or was it just practical like uh, the mechanics like by doing this i found out this yeah yeah just just practical like i've never i've never worked at a game studio like at a at a actual like real grown-up game studio uh so i don't know how things are done there i i wish i i wish i had kind of but mm-hmm. um yeah it's just stuff that i've picked up through work i found i've always found it interesting like when it came to film stuff how um, we all have this idea of like uh, imposter syndrome, right? Where you feel like, okay, this is I'm gonna try to figure this out, and I'm gonna come up with my DIY version. And one of these days, somebody will teach me the proper way of doing something. <laughs> and then, or or your comment section will teach you. Mm-hmm, like. People will will love, will throw the the answers at you. Um, but the funny thing I found was, uh, you know, after you get like five years in or whatever, you start meeting other colleagues. And you find you ask them questions about what they did, and, what they, and they all have the same attitude. Where you watch behind the scenes of Star Trek, and J.J. Abrams is just like banging on the side <laughs> of the camera to make the shake effect, and they're just like, uh, "How do we do a, a, a free fall scene? I don't know. We'll put up a green screen in the parking lot, and we'll put a fan underneath it, and you know, whatever works." That's totally the yeah. attitude of even people who are spending two hundred yeah. million dollars. I went to a GDC a Game Developers Conference, which is like this big game developers conference. Um, and I listened to this lecture of game designers talking and I was, I, w- I went to this and I'm like, okay, finally I'll hear like, it, it was like a, a day long workshop on, on game design. Finally, I'll, I'll, I'll get some real, you know, instruction and lessons on finding what the real pros do. Cause they, it's all these people that have been working for 20 years. And the answer is just iteration. Just like, well, I don't know, just try it and see if, if people get it and if it works and if not try something else or change it or. Um, that was the secret. Just mm-hmm. keep iterating. Because it almost seems to me like um, it, it, that's a necessity. It has to be that way because as soon as you arrive at like a system that you're you're just like taking uh, the new client and putting them through the factory system that you've perfected and optimized, yeah. that's the first thing that people can copy. Like yeah, as soon as you've, the, you've cracked the, the code, dead, like, you're not doing anything original yeah. anymore, and you're going to have a lot of tro- trouble with your competitors because they're just going to be able to emulate that thing that you figured out. Yeah. So um, I've, I've been finding that like the pressure with modern creative work, like if, whether you're doing music videos or illustration or whatever, it's, it's a process of, of trying to embrace that uncertainty and understand that like the value comes in like solving interesting problems and trying to do something that hasn't been done before. So get used to that anxiety because yeah, yeah. it's never going to go. Away. Yeah. Yeah. Have you gotten an opportunity to, um, to uh, do more of those kind of orientations or classes or do you have any interest in um, being a teacher or something like that? I taught, I co-taught um, a, a, like a six week series on, on introduction to game stuff for the hand eye society, um, which cool. is like this video game organization in Toronto. Um, and that was, that was really, really awesome. I mean, it's, it's, you have all these applicants and it's, it's like a free thing. Um, so we had a bunch of applicants 
and we could winnow it down to six people. So the students were amazing. They were really engaged, and, and I'm sure that makes an enormous dis difference. I've never taught like uh, an actual college course or anything. I've guest lectured a, a couple times, um, but it's it's cool and it's really energizing mm -hmm. um, because there's so much of our work that um, requires sitting in an office and like plugging away yeah. at computer stuff that whenever the the opportunity arises to like get a human connection where you're like oh yeah we can actually talk to people and yeah, help people do yeah. things that's uh, that's kind of the, one of the reasons that I, I've like wanted to start a podcast is that uh, I feel like there is a lot of really cool creative people in Toronto um, but we don't get a chance to hang out and um, there is something about knowing that you have like comrades in arms that are all yeah. in the trenches together and stuff that helps motivate you. You know that like, okay, there's other people like me out there. And um, it, 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 it's also like the polar opposite of the kind of uh, feedback that you get from the internet where everything becomes like statistics. Yeah. You start like focusing on the charts and saying, yeah, like, okay, yeah. did this... our Facebook likes go up? Did oh we... God, we were, we were like studying this stuff yesterday. Uh... Yeah, like, we, we put out a tweet, and it's like, okay, well, how many retweets did that get versus this, and should we add the hashtag to it? It's, uh, it's the worst. And it, I don't know where it came from. It snuck up on me, because I remember, you know, five years ago when we were doing stuff on the internet, I don't know if it was, like, the fact that there was a whole lot less people using it, but it just seemed like I was just making stuff for my friends, and I would post it on the channels that were available. There's only, like, three. And you would get feedback from it. It would kind of be like, oh, cool. A million people saw that or whatever. And then you move on. But nowadays, like I find because the whole Internet is is uh, is heating up and there's a lot of people who are interested in turning it into like an industrialized thing and figuring out like the mechanics yeah, of viral and stuff. Yeah. It's getting into my subconscious and I, I can't help yeah. but just like, oh, yeah. I want to get rid of it. I just want to like send stuff to my friends again. I don't want to. And, and like how much time do you have to worry about that stuff? Does that go on top of all the other like contracts you need to do and stuff you need to, you need to send out and like, uh... And I don't want it to affect my my creative process yeah. either. Like it's it's getting into the into the the recipe mix, right? Where I start like having this the voice back back of the head that's like, well, what will Twitter think of this? Yeah, <laughs> and what what's your voice on Twitter? Like like what what voice on Twitter works the best? And am I being too enthusiastic? Should I delete that exclamation mark? It's oh man, yeah. And it's like I feel like it's a it's a totally pointless thing for me to 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 meditate on because these aren't clean systems. Like, when it comes to Facebook, they have algorithms that are um, editing out your posts and stuff. Yeah. So, like, you might have 400 people that want to hear from you, but it's only, like, 50 or something that the message is actually boost, going you, to. you got to boost that. <laughs> <laughs> Pay them the, the payola, yeah. the 75 uh. bucks to get it on their feet. And then when it comes to Twitter, it's just, like, so littered with bots, right? So you'll get um, people adding you on the thing and then you'll check their profile and they'll send you a message and it's just like, hey, blah, 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 really into your things. And then you message them and you get the feeling that there's something synthetic going on. Or you'll see the, the things where the bots are sending out friend requests or uh, uh, follows to like everybody. And then if you don't follow them back, it, it, means it drops down again. Yeah. And if you get too focused on that... You're it, just maintaining these relationships with bots and like... 
And then there's other people like I find on the Twitter feed where it'll say, you'll look at their thing and they've added you and they have 150,000 followers and they're also following 250,000 because <laughs> that's all they're doing is just like sending out follow requests over and over yeah. again and then getting refollows from those follow requests. And there's an idea that like if you get this giant mass of Twitter followers, then you'll be able to convince an advertiser that they can like put an ad in your thing and they'll give you 50 bucks a month or whatever. But... I don't know. It's I feel like it's got to be a fad because I've been finding like the more I um, get into that headspace, the less work I'm doing and the less. Yeah. Like the, even the fact like we're talking, we're having this conversation about like, you know, how many Twitter bots you have and how to like refollow. And ugh, it's just, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't lead anywhere good. <sighs> OK, so we're going to decompress yeah. <laughs> and start again. Get back into that college spirit. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I like to, like on your website, um, you published a, a kid's book, it seemed like, with that kind of had that same adventure type of arc that you'd expect in a game. Like, do you find that... Is, the, is this a Sir Reginald's log? Yeah. That one? Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah like yeah. You, can, you can totally imagine that being <laughs> ported and turned into a game, yeah. right? Like it has the same it's, kind it's of... It's a system, like, that... You know the uh, the the fantasy reality fantasy reality this pattern system like you know guess what it is then reveal guess reveal like um, yeah like I, I it's it probably comes from like like those activity books like like um, the maze books and like games and illusions and stuff like that I was always super super into that stuff there's this one book called Puzzle Island <laughs> I don't think anyone has ever heard of this book except me but it's this really really wonderful um it's it's it starts out as like you read it's it's kind of like a log book and there's all these illustrations and if you look in the illustrations of these landscapes you find like hidden animals you know hidden you know it's like find the hidden animal but then it's like this guy's log book and he's he's writing this and he's like setting up this puzzle for whoever finds his log book and then you find the animals and then if you draw lines like through the animal's eyes then they point to letters in the border Whoa. and it becomes this crazy like insanely elaborate game like like a video game almost like a puzzle game um and then it goes into like these other sketches in the back and it's just this really remarkable like object this book um and i've like it it blew me away you know when i was when i was younger uh, i've never met anyone else who's even heard of it uh, but it's awesome i love that uh that kid head space where the world it seems self-evident that the world is full of like hidden mysteries and I went to visit um, my girlfriend's place in, in Nelson, BC, and it's totally Skyrim country. Like she, they live in the mountains and there's like little elven cottages and stuff and that nice Christmas snow and no wind, no terrible Ontario wind. Um, and, but the only d downside of it is you're hiking through these mountains and you're like, this is where the entrance to the Dwarven Kingdom like should be, but it's not there. <laughs> And I always thought You're it would be disappointed. I'm disappointed that like I got I, I became an adult and you realize that we found all the buried treasure. There there is no hidden like swords and, and things in, in the hills. And I was thinking like, wouldn't that be a great onus, a great art project for people that are in our camp, like a movement, where we can start like you know, you spend an extra five hundred bucks a year or whatever and you get like an an amazing like long sword or whatever from 
um, a hobbyist fair or something and you figure out like you do like an intricate treasure map for it <laughs> and then you like bury it out in yeah. in the mountains of British Columbia right <laughs> and then you do something with the map like you make 50 of copies of it or whatever you just like send it across the thing and you have like a, an email address at the bottom of it like if you find the thing like tweet it back to me just giving children um, s- something to like seek out like real things that are actually in the world yeah I, don't know, I think that would be so rad. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you remember? Do you, do you know Sword and Sorcery? Do you know that game? The podcast? Yeah, or mm-hmm. the the game like the Sword and the Super Brothers Sword and oh, Sorcery. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there was stuff in that game, like you calling the phone number and li- listening to the record. I, I like I don't remember it all. I didn't I didn't go through it all, but it was like weird mysteries like that. Um, yeah. Have you met those guys? Craig Adams, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, like uh, like Craig Adams was maybe one or two years ahead of us in Sheridan, um, and uh, Craig and, and Nathan and Capybara and, and, and Chris and uh, yeah, yeah, they're like those Capybara games has been like super amazing to us, like with advice and stuff. Like the the whole game scene actually is like so um, warm and and like helping each other. It's like at our, at our workspace too at Bento Miso, like. It's just ridiculous. Like, I, I wonder sometimes if it's because... Well, how did I get on this? But, like, the market isn't Toronto. The market's the entire world. So, right. like, we're not really in competition with each other. Mm. Um, so maybe it's, it's different than... You know, like, there's, it doesn't feel like rivalry. I mean, there's, there's, we, we all want to do good stuff. Um, and uh, I'm sure now that, now that Steam Spy is out, you can, like, l- look at stats for other games now. Um, but... <laughs> But it's like it's really like just everyone's helping each other. It's it's really awesome. It reminds me of if you look through the um, the Illusion of Life Disney book, yeah, how, and you you hear about the early cartoon industry, how like there was these kind of working yeah, class that guys. That book, like, like it's, yeah, that's the story of that same atmosphere, like d- making discoveries and like d- like animation advanced so much in like those twenty years. It's in, it's insane to like look at like silent films and then and then snow white and then bambi and then like it's it's nuts and the 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 principal people involved they were kind of working class people that were coming together in the studio and and figuring stuff out and um totally not what you'd expect i mean they could have been working on a bridge or they could have been working on on anything like uh the cartoons were were secondary they were like I don't know former soldiers and stuff. That <laughs> yeah, were all getting yeah. together and saying like, "Okay, we're gonna crack this." And going into Smoking into cigars. work with their suits and their mm-hmm. ties and drawing, I like being draftspeople. I miss a bit of that. I, I wish that uh, there was there was a bit of onus to to uh, the ritual of like putting on the tie and stuff and going to work. And yeah, man, everything's become very very casual. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's something something about that. <sighs> So do you find that um is it has it become part of of the thing that uh, you do a lot of studio visits like do, are you interested in having like you know what what's your workflow like do you guys at the asteroid base kind of thing do you guys have like a, a central studio that you guys rent and like hang out in and do all the work in or is it kind yeah. of divided between your home stuff um we sometimes work at home but we do yeah we we go into this co-working space we rent space in this co-working space called bento miso which is like mm. just south of trinity bellwoods cool. um 
and we go there and there's there's three of us there's three partners uh me and jamie tucker and adam winkles and uh we go in there and we haul our laptops we we schlep our laptops around and set them up and just work for a day um go home and do it again tomorrow nice uh Nine so it, type of thing or we do you guys- it's well we go like 10 to 6 in the in the in the space usually and then you know at home like i've got like uh, my actual like art sort of thing with the tablets and and stuff and big monitors set up at home which is if i ever need to do like hardcore like churn out assets like hardcore production stuff i usually work from there because it's a better space for that kind of stuff but working at home is hard like Mm -hmm. for a long period of time um like it's it's difficult you can you you start losing connection with um the outside world like you 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 sort of lose your place in the world i don't know seth godin has this idea that like we're our own worst worst bosses like if we had a boss that treated ourselves the way that we treat ourselves we would quit immediately and i totally empathize with that because i was finding that with freelance video work you know it was going on for like 16 hours a day and i was like in this corner hovel like being becoming a golem like creature that eats like instant <laughs> breakfast and doritos and yeah just it's just like no yeah. you're not allowed to take yeah. a break like like you feel today. like you need to go to the bathroom but you're like okay i'll do that in a second yes okay um yeah i know and then that that makes me think like if if like right now we're three we're three people in the studio we're partners we you know we don't have any money but if we were ever, ever to grow and have employees like i'd feel so like worried like i, I wouldn't want to treat you know, an employee the way we treat ourselves because it's awful. Um, yeah, like it's not it's not the goal to to work crazy hours and and stuff like that. Like we don't we're we're pretty good. Like I'm uh, I'm a lot better at least now than I was. Like doing doing Gazintite, there were some some weird times, but mm-hmm. um, it's much more much more scheduled now, uh, which I think is good for long term. Like if like I'm thirty two and so how many more like if i'm gonna work another 35 years like i can't i can't i gotta you know be normal and it's it starts to it's funny because as you start to be better at time management you realize that oh if i just if i just look at my my stats you realize that it's not even worth pulling the all-nighters because your productivity is slipping hour after hour and you're really burning tomorrow's hours too by yeah. like staying up that time. So, you know, there's there there's definitely times, you know, as you approach a really important deadline where it's a necessity to get something out, obviously. But in general, it's like if you are arriving at the deadline and there's all of the scramble, there was something that went wrong at the beginning of the planning process. It's like, what yeah. can we change yeah. to make this a more manageable thing that won't affect the quality and in in fact like because of my experience in sheridan where i was seeing like the the um the downside to overworking things i realized too that it's it's a symptom having this scramble at the end where there's a lot of like tweaking and thrashing is a symptom of of not having that like elegant design at the beginning i found like all of the the projects that have come out the best have been kind of an easy easy street type of thing and the ones that I've been like unhappy with, like five years later, it was like arduous, like all the way yeah, through. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, 
I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. Like I remember, like I remember being miserable at Sheridan in the middle of the night, trying to work on a project that's not working. Like just emotionally, that's the worst. Like feeling. Um, I don't. There's usually times in any in any kind of long project because I've I find I'm doing more long projects. Like you, there's there's for me there's always like at least one or two times where I just hit a low in the project and like. This isn't. This isn't working. This is stupid. This was a mistake. I shouldn't have started it. What am I doing? Um, but even that, it's getting easier to be like, well, this. Like now that it's happened in you know three or four projects, like, well, this is just the low. It happens. It'll. It'll end. You, you get through it. Um, yeah, I empathize with um, a lot of stories about marathon running where um, they talk about the wall that happens at like mile twenty-two. And regardless of whether it's your first marathon or your 26th, everybody feels that that's the the drop off. Like you can feel it where your body's just like, no more. You are not intended for this. This is inhumane. And also, what 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 is the reward here? This isn't even for <laughs> anything. Um, and I I love that kind of um, I love that kind of I love that story because with it, with marathon running there is no no prize at the end for most people they're just doing it for themselves and I feel like that's inspiring when it comes to art projects it's like well you're this is an emotional thing that we're going through and there's a physical side to it that's taxing but it's not running 27 miles you know you're not going to have a heart attack yeah gonna... yeah did you ever read Haruki Murakami's book about running mm -hmm. okay I I really I really liked that book and a lot of the just it's like I don't know I, I, treating it as a job or like getting some like a bit of that disconnect like it's it's your job to run it's your job to work or like that's fine and your job isn't to worry about it like just it's just keep going and you just turn on the loving spoonful yeah, keep going yeah yeah <laughs> what is it, reptile I love um, the the kind of meditative quality in that book too where he was talking about the different aspects of his life where there was Mm. He would. I'm chewing into them. Oh, it's fine. This is that's a big part of the show. Okay. Is, is the is the chewing? All right. You know the fans. The fans love it. Um, the uh, he had his life compartmentalized to the point where it was like get up, run a certain distance, work a few hours on the book, go to, and eat my my fresh mm -hmm. fish at the the same restaurant that I do, and then there's an unwind cycle where you drink a glass of wine and go to bed. I love that kind of confidence where you can do your creative work and handle it in a balanced way mm -hmm. that's going to be sustainable and it's going to be your your process you know there's there's no more scramble that kind of like insecure scramble that we have when we're first starting out i think that um that's one thing i really appreciate about my my life right now is that you can kind of feel like you're making choices in a deliberate way and you're making slow and steady progress like Mm -hmm. just yeah like I'm, i've read i've read i think hemingway in one of his books he talks about waking up early writing in the morning for this many hours you know finishing uh and then going off and doing his the rest of his life and i think i've i think i read something like that about like nietzsche or something he would take a walk around his garden maybe i, I don't know i read that in sophie's world or something like that mm -hmm. um but yeah this like structured and then you you do your creative work and it's it's when I was in college, I remember not wanting that. I always wanted to be like this crazy person who's working all night and like having this, you know, always about to fall apart. And like, there's that romance of it. But 
yeah, like how many years do you want to do that for? And and it doesn't like help like uh, yeah. particularly with um, people who are doing um, film stuff because um, if you talk to somebody like Werner Herzog, he has a lot of um, filmmakers that are starting out and haven't made their first movie, proper movie yet, and they always want advice. And his advice is always that um, you need to read more books, for one thing, because there's way too many people uh, that are our age that are making media based on media and not based on humans, you know, where you go back to the source material when people were just creating things that were pulled from their imaginations instead of mm. stuff that they saw on television the night before. Yeah. So he recommends reading novels. And then the second thing is for the person who is on the precipice of starting, but can't make that jump. He's like, just take the shittiest job possible. Go work in a slaughterhouse, go work in a prison, go work in a place where you're going to see humanity on, on view. Right and build up the amount of money that you need and then make your movie with that thing. And what I found powerful about that is that I know so many people, myself included, where you get into this this habit of just like working all the time and staying up all night and you realize that the ideas aren't coming as fast anymore because you're not living. You're not out there absorbing and finding stuff that connects with you and that the, the, the human element. And it only yeah. takes like having to hang out with a couple of friends over beers or um, have a, a intimate conversation with somebody for three hours that you kind of the the stories become self evident. You go like, oh, that's that could be a movie. That, that, that's a you know that person uh, that friend of mine told me this epic story about how you know their mom was in a car accident and became an yeah. alcoholic and then they went to uh, Tibet and then they shaved their head and they came back. It's like, there's life, yeah. there's your movie, right? And suddenly it's not arduous. It's not this thing where how do I cobble together Robert McKee's story elements and how, how do you I take yeah, this? It's like, yeah. oh, and wasn't it cool in Pulp Fiction when the chick had her <laughs> hair went over this? You totally had that in your movie. You're like, oh, God, yeah. get it out. Like, wasn't it, I think, like... Pokemon was based on like bug collecting and jars and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So yeah, <sighs> Pokemon is underrated. I think there's too much. Uh, I think that it's it's a it's a really neat thing to teach children about evolution in like a very <laughs> subtle yeah, kind of way. Yeah, uh, classification and mm -hmm. yeah, and the idea of upgrading, right? Like I, I've uh, Ilya talks a lot about that when it comes to. Um, think of your life as gamification where you know you see yourself your stats you assess your stats as they are now and then you imagine okay what do i need to do to upgrade to level 25 <laughs> i need to go back to school and i mean to, to be this person to get this That's job true. here and then i'll be level 25 animator instead of i just remember real, when i realized it was sort of like cockfighting and animal abuse i was like oh pokemon oh pikachu oh man i guess so Ugh. uh I guess, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm surprised that uh, they've kind of gone Street Fighter with the Pokemon series, where they just I haven't, I haven't just, been following it. They just do the same thing over and over yeah, again and yeah. introduce like different, oh, okay. so, different skins, different character classes. Okay. But I, I feel like this potential. Like I, I remember Nelvana was going to do a Care Bears movie, and I remember thinking back to the old. Care Bears television show and, and saying like you can do an amazing Care Bears movie 
there is all the elements here to make something Pixar level awesome, but they won't do it. They won't do it for all sorts of basic reasons. And I feel the same way about Pokemon. It's like you could do an amazing Pokemon thing, but it never it never comes to be. Yeah, I just want to repeat. Yeah. Um, for a long time, I wanted like I thought I thought Alien was like so like I I love the Alien. You know, oh it's so cool. You know, it's like got this long head and like bones and stuff like i thought that i really liked the alien and and like oh it's too bad that that alien movie wasn't that good oh and this alien movie wasn't that good and this alien game wasn't that good uh i i I thought there was like tons of potential and then i sort of realized that it wasn't the alien that i liked it was these first two movies that i liked and and maybe that's okay i felt that way about the star wars oh man yeah that was an education in that like for a while i had like such fanboydom that i was living in denial that they were terrible and I started to realize that as I was watching the movies, my brain was somewhere else where I was imagining the scenes that weren't in the yeah. movie. And you're and like justifying it to yourself and like, yeah. I had this whole alternative edit in my imagination <laughs> that was playing out while I was watching the shitty movie. And um, it reminded me of like back when I was a kid, I had all these awesome Ninja Turtle figures and you would watch the Saturday morning cartoon version of it waiting and, for like your toy to show up in the cartoon yeah, yeah. and then the, show, the, the the character would turn up in the thing and it would be terrible the drawing would be <laughs> awful and the story yeah. would be boring and it wasn't like on the back, back of the box and you'd say like well what went wrong here but you'd still watch it and I, I realize now that like there's a funny thing that kind of, kind of happened with our imaginations where the, the thing that you're watching is one aspect of it and the interpretation of that thing in your imagination, in your brain, is a second layer on top of that. And for for certain things, like the toys with like Ninja Turtles, the toys were so awesome that it made you like the show, even though the show was no good. And I've been I've been really interested in that kind of concept for I don't know I don't know how that applies to like the work that I'm doing now, but yeah, yeah. For me, that was like. I was really into anime in, mm-hmm. in like high school and it was totally because the characters looked so awesome and their hair was so cool. Like I really wanted them to be really awesome and then you watch the show and it's kind of boring and it doesn't make any sense and yeah. What is it about that? And I wonder, I wonder, um, so, so much of this stuff should just become open source. They should just leave it up to the internet to, <laughs> to do fan versions of because I feel like they could fill in those placeholders. <laughs> There's a lot of potential for for those things that uh, that they didn't. Yeah, just a, to. a depot of like wicked characters and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess mm. you. I guess uh, the current trend is is kind of like, you know, everybody loves sword and sorcery stuff, and it's not really owned by anybody, so you just get infinite versions that are kind of a little bit different from one another. Yeah, and then it all just feels sort of gray and bland, though. Mushy. Yeah. Um, except for Dark Souls. For some reason, man, that game. Ugh. Yeah, what what are some of the things that you've been um, super jazzed about Like when it comes to uh, game stuff? Do, do you find that that's where a lot of the inspiration and motivation comes from? Or, or do you, are you pulling from... Do you, do you go back to that, like, kids' material that you liked when you were younger? Like, where does the enthusiasm come from? Well, I guess a lot of it a lot of it still comes from illustration and animation stuff. Like, I, I feel like, like, like in terms, in just in terms of, like, what media, like, inspires game stuff for me. 
um, there's such a mine of stuff that hasn't yet trickled into games mm -hmm. from artists and all these other medias. Uh, but yeah, like you can see an illustration and be like, this would, you know, just it's it's right there. It's like that would be an amazing game, and and it's just right there for you to steal from. Uh, so so that kind of stuff. Um, can you imagine ever being in a situation where you're approaching other illustrators and saying like, this the thing everything you're doing should be a game? Like, have you done a game? <laughs> you can art direct it. Blah blah blah. Yeah yeah yeah. I'll I'll I'll, I'll design it and program it or whatever. <laughs> Uh, I would no, I'd like to do that. Although part like I kind of like being the boss of that too, so mm. I'm too ego trippy. I don't know. Um, going hiking, from, like just seeing like shapes of walking on things and and going over hills and things like that, and looking in trees. Like you can look infinitely close at a tree, and like there's like little bugs crawling and battling each other, or or, or leaves or something growing here, like. Just walking. I, I love walking. High Park is like the best thing in Toronto. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. And I can watch. I can watch animals. You know, move around and just birds hop around for forever, uh, picking up crumbs and like flying, and then watching another bird come. And like, which part of the bread does that bird try to rip off? And how successful is it? And I don't know. Like that's. Um, I really want to make a game like inspired by planet earth the documentary mm -hmm. uh uh with attenborough if i could get if i could get him to didn't like he die? didn't he die oh no 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 uh what's his name his um brother. richard yeah richard attenborough oh, okay. died jurassic park attenborough died but david attenborough the bbc nice planet earth host he's still rocking yeah i i i find that too um it's it's an underrated uh cure for writer's block it's just taking a walk Especially, too, if um, you want to have, like, a conversation with somebody where you want to figure stuff out. Mm. Um, a little stroll. It almost, like, the part of your brain that is leading to a lot of editing or, like, too much uh, self-consciousness. It's, it's too tied up in the motion of moving your feet forward and mm -hmm. experiencing uh, the surroundings and breathing the air and stuff it quiets down because it's distracted and then the the good part the little the little angel on your shoulder yeah. that has the right solutions it can speak up and yeah. say like oh by the way you already know the answer to this yeah me and jamie like go to, go on walks around trinity bellwoods like often like in the in the middle of the afternoon in that slump we'll be like okay walk time and then you know just get up and chat and figure stuff out um yeah just to, it's like it gets juices churning and so uh when it comes to um the lovers game i remember uh you released some of like the early concept sketches um on online yeah. and it was like uh on uh on just paper with with uh with with uh, early drawings of like oh what would it be like if you had kind of like a you know mission control type of thing and it worked in three dimensions and you kind of pile it around and stuff like do you find that one thing that Ilya always says to me is that like there's a tendency among people who come from an art background or an illustration background where they want to come up with the story first and they have the story and then they want to figure out a game mechanic that kind of like can be wedged in there. And he was talking about how like all of the really classic games, the game mechanic is the thing. 
and then there's just like a very thin yeah, layer of art yeah. direction that's like stretched over top. Yeah. Do you find that when you're in those early stages where you're just doing the thumbnails and stuff, you're thinking in those terms now where Yeah, like I like for that stuff it's it's the whatever the like the main system is, like like what's the what's the main interaction like what of of a game or something like and it'll like every sort of game it always comes from just a doodle of a screenshot almost and it's like okay so who am i am i am i controlling a character or whatever and like where does this what am i what am i doing in this screen mm-hmm. and how how big am i and 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 what's what else is in the screen and how do i interact with it yeah it's always for me it's it always comes from from system like what's the what's the system what's the main interaction i'm doing um and then everything else sort of sits on top of that. And that's why I, I don't, I've never made a narrative game and I probably won't because I just don't like even, even that kid's book. Um, it's, it's about this guy and he's going through his house and he's like half of it's fantasy and half of it's reality. But the idea was that, yeah, what's the system? It's the system that he sees this thing, but it's he's in his mind, it's this, but in reality it's this. And it's, it's, it's a system. It's almost like you're still drawing those, those adventure maps. From yeah. Yeah. Kid. Yeah. It, it totally is. And Speaking of sketchbooks, like um, everything is in sketchbooks for me. Like I still, did you ever, did you ever have Clemente at Sheridan, Clemente Patello? Mm-hmm. Did he ever make you use like a nine by, or, uh, what is it, six by nine black sketchbook for keeping sketchbooks? Just like in. a moleskin aid. Yeah, moleskin or, or, or like those hardcover, those crappy hardcover ones. Did he ever mm-hmm. make you do those? I think so. Like, like. We all had them. Yeah. Okay. So I started those then like in like 2001, maybe whatever. And I've been doing them like I still use like the same sketchbook, and I've got like fifteen years of of these books. I'll show you. you All right. Okay. Yes. Exactly. (laughs) It's uh, it's 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 crazy too. Like um, for your own for your own fun. It's it's wicked to open up a book from like three years ago. Yeah, and, and you, you can remember. The, you're like, oh yeah, I was thinking about this and this, and you look at the initial things of, of something. Or it's like, oh, this became, um, you know, the Bruce Peninsula video, <laughs> and like, here's the shot for this, and here, and you yeah. see it, and you go like, and this is this is exactly how it turned out as like the inception, yeah. yeah. Of something like, oh, we could do a paper fold effect, and and that will allow you to do and, animation from still frames. And like so. the reminder that you came up with the idea for that in like two minutes, one day, working in this book, and like that, like that was how long it took you to make that decision. Like, so if, for me, like if ever I'm stuck with some big decision, it's just like thinking about the fact that all these other decisions I just made them one day in like one minute on this piece of paper, and so you know how nervous should you be about making any decision, like? They're just things that you make and you don't need to worry about. And there's something I feel like when you see something you really like, it's this kind of instantaneous spark where you, you see the thing and you go like, oh, cool. And it's a reflection of that same feeling that the creator gets when they stumble upon something. Yeah. And so I feel like... You mean you mean the consumer? like The, the consumer, when they see yeah. the finished thing, they go... You have that energy for like five minutes when you first come up with that idea and then you sort of get used to it and you forget about it but yeah yeah it's a great it's a great feeling and then and then i do like like once you come up with something that that is like that that's the seed of what you want to do uh and then all this machinery sort of builds up on top of it to like deliver that and and make that you know make it about that and make that clear and and 
like set that up and, and yeah deliver it in in the best way possible and that's like the crazy you know whatever story structure and whatever else feeds into it but it's all like nestled on that mm-hmm. little seed and so funny that uh it's this is still this is the original medium right like you mm-hmm. go back to to da vinci time and you um walk through his AGO exhibition and there's books just like yeah. this that he used to doodle in and figure out his war machines or his, his paintings. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, I saw that. Show. It was really cool. It's the exact same process. And, um, it's, it's funny how, um, it's, it's such a humble kind of medium, but it can move mountains in a way, like with the right people. Like, um, you think of, of something like Apple computer or something like, um, uh, SpaceX, right? Yeah. There are, I don't, I don't even, it would be so fun to like talk to somebody who's an astrophysicist or somebody who knows a lot about the universe and ask them to categorize like what exactly imagination is and where it kind of fits in scientific terms. Because it's so bizarre to me that like we have these little sparks in our brains, a little hint of an idea, and then through your connection with other people, it can turn into this real thing that gets built eventually. Like you think of JK Rowling um, working in a coffee shop as like a, a welfare mom and she's penning this thing. And then you fla- flash forward 20 years and suddenly <laughs> there's a stacks of billions of dollars and there's a theme park with like real dragons and stuff that kind of, it was, there was a, a connection between her brain and it going out into the world and then growing into real stuff what is that and it, <laughs> and it kind of it's it so closely mirrors um the definition of like how they think the universe started right like there was Whoa. an initial spark that set up the conditions and then all of these molecules and so swarm together and, and blew it's up just in the stars. result of like it's and just... then they turned into animals and things and yeah. <laughs> whoa i don't uh, yeah man Dude, there's like some sort of like miniature <laughs> big bangs that are happening in your imagine all the t- imagination all the time, and then they turn into like, like little world building people, exercise. Like, what if we're just in someone's imagination, man? <laughs> but yeah, 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 like, um, yeah, it's yeah, sketchbooks. Woo, <laughs> go. Um, in fact, there are there's such an important part of the um, process that you all should pay thousands of dollars for them. Did, have you have you been to Muji yet? No. Uh, there's a Muji that opened in Toronto, and they have like these three dollar sketchbooks, and they're spiral bound, so like, mm, yeah, mm-hmm. but they're pretty good, and they're three dollars, so you, yeah, I, I like the three dollars. Um, but yeah. I've been going a little bit digital lately, so I carry around my iPad, and then if I have story ideas. I'll type it directly okay. into the iPad because I was finding that with this, this is really great. Uh, the Moleskin books are really great for visual ideas. Like if you're mapping out a music video or doing typography or something, but when it came to story stuff, I have like all these chicken scratch. Yeah. Um, one line things with like bad grammar and bad spelling and stuff. And I never dictate it down into the computer. For me, it's like, like I've got whatever, 15 years of these things and I go through maybe one every three months. So whatever that four times 30 sketchbooks. And I'm like, okay, I had this idea for a thing. It was in 2012, maybe. 
or 2013 in the fall. Yeah. And then you open it up and like papers fall out and you're like, uh, damn it. Yeah. So I've been finding that like when it comes to uh, literary things, it's just so much easier to type it out initially and then you can copy and paste it into an email or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Later. And then there's also a lot of cool tools that um, people have been coming up with iPad where you can just like do a, a sketch on the screen and then it'll let you play back the sketch so you can see it like drawing on itself. <laughs> and it's like, that's rad because it's one of the first ideas people have when they learn After Effects. They're like, yeah, wouldn't yeah. it be cool if the drawing like drew itself on the thing? And you try to do it with masking or whatever and it's laborious and terrible. Yeah, I remember like that's when I was like, get it when i was doing my first after effects stuff that was all the stuff that was on motion art was like all these like spirals and like loopies and that would draw on yeah lines it's hilarious yeah. whenever you you hear somebody uh, approach you with an idea for something where they go like okay so i just needed your help on this uh this cool video idea i had we're gonna have a book and you open the book and then the pictures in the book they come to life what? and they start moving and you go like yes 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 this is the first idea everybody <laughs> has when they when they learn after um but yeah the i don't know it's 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 such a funny time to be making stuff because it was it was crazy like 10 years ago going on on the internet when it, it wasn't so busy and now i get the feeling like when i go to places it's almost like when your your local bar becomes way too popular <laughs> and it's just like yeah and it's just noisy and you're like uh oh, we got to find got to find a new a new little hive hideaway everybody's starting to to say like maybe it's time to go back to message boards maybe it's time to have a, a social network just for skaters in illinois or, or whatever yeah, and then you need an account for each one and each one needs a password and uh um it's it's yeah i find it really the community thing it's it's interesting to me that like i feel like you know this whole like people really dig meeting up and 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 these communities like the games thing like people in real life like these meetups there's events there's talks there's conventions um it's happening I, don't, I guess it was always happening but it seems like you'd expect it almost to drop away with the internet because people can gather online i could go live you know in the middle of nowhere and and still be like just as connected in some way as i am now but it's like the reverse is happening like everyone wants to live in cities now and mm -hmm. it's it's fascinating to me yeah, and and uh, totally necessary too, because I think that if it didn't happen, everybody would go crazy. Yeah, yeah, totally. It, it's almost yeah, and even that becomes one of my filters for like like there's so much content on the internet you can't look at it all. What's what's my filter? It's people I know in real life. I'll look at their stuff and like not for any reason other than it's just nice and good. Um, yeah it's a shift back to the old days where you used to go to some village out in the mountains and they had their own songs and they had their own way of drawing folk art and their own way of making pottery. And it was an incentive to go traveling because you got to see these different world building exercises. And I feel like you can get a little bit of that if you get in touch with like the, the art community in your, in your place because they can't help but influence one another and have a shared kind of headspace based on, yeah, on where they live. Yeah. And it help it helps everybody's work too. Um if if for nothing else than like just keeping you motivated because I don't think that artwork artwork survives very well in isolation. 
you kind of turn into like some sort of Henry Darger hermit that yeah. is is uh, the sadness starts to come through <laughs> in the work where you go, <laughs> your portraits of people, they all feel like it's a, an, an assemblage of, of mannequins or something. Like it doesn't feel like you love any, but anybody in this or like, I, I'm not feeling like a, a sense of engagement. A happy person is yeah. making this thing. And just the exercise of like having real human, like seeing real humans interact and look at and play what you're making. Like just to, just to watch someone experience it. Like it, you learn so much about your own work to like watch this human experience mm-hmm. your thing. Um, yeah, you can't get that just through like comment threads and emails. So do you imagine like once uh, uh, Lovers is finished, uh, there'll be a whole kind of like victory lap type of thing that happens where you can finally just relax. The thing is finished <laughs> and now I can just like watch people play it and like talk to people. I don't I don't know. Like I was, it's hard to imagine. Like when Gazintai was, was coming out, I was a wreck. Like I was just, I didn't, I couldn't. I didn't like watching people play it. I just needed some more space. This one, I think it's a little bit healthier since when I was doing Gesundheit, like that was with people in Australia. So I was by myself here, but this one, there's three of us and four of us with, uh, with the audio guy. Um, so I feel like that's a little, like it's just a reality check on getting too much in your own head. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I have no idea like what, will come after whether it's if it's if it's if it's successful enough that we can like support it for a bit that would be the best thing um and keep keep working on it improving it what are um, the mechanics of of launching an indie indie game title like, <laughs> is it uh, is it um there's obviously trade shows and things like yeah, three that yeah. you have to visit that's been like, like the biggest thing for us so far is, is as we've been developing it, we've been traveling around going to the conventions every year, like PAX and GDC and E3 and uh, showing it, just being on the floor with all these people coming up to play it. Uh, that's been the biggest thing for us so far. But there's also a lot of emails, like videos. I mean, nowadays with the kids and their YouTube videos, it's all, it's all about um, connecting with, with YouTubers as well uh, because that's sort of like... The, the purest like you can see someone play your game and and that's a really good way to judge whether or not you'd want to pick it up um it'd be funny if the advertisement became just uh commissioning one of those let's play uh, people to yeah. just oh, send them the thing and then he gets like you want to comment on this that's that's already like <laughs> that's already like an established thing you can you can pay youtubers to play your player games um we had we did this we did this one uh, beta testing session with this with this company in San Diego called the Research Centaur, and so w- what this beta testing thing was is that we uh, we you know you send them a build of the game and they get testers to play it and they like live stream them playing the game to you so you can like mm. actually watch them it's a, it's an awesome service, uh, but there was this one father and son who like played it together <laughs> and it's like man there's no commercial that we could ever make for the, no trailer that just than listening to these two like talk to each other while playing it's like it's such a such an awesome thing like judging by the screenshots the mechanics of of uh lovers is it is it there's different um the the space station is kind of divided into different rooms that control different defenses on it oh yeah 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 so the i mean the game is is uh you control this like big round spaceship um and 
it's sort of like a, almost like a Donkey Kong level inside the spaceship. So mm. there's ladders and, and platforms and computers on different levels. And you run over to a computer and then you control, you know, a turret or a shield or an engine. And so it's this level, kind of like a level within a level. Like your, your level is a spaceship and you control that. And then you fly around this bigger, you know, asteroid belts and planets and stuff and fight robots and things. Oh, cool. Um, so it's, it's, it's about working together. It's a, we designed it as a co-op game. Um, we designed it at a game jam. We made it the first version at a game jam, and it was really just for something that you know people could. A game jam's like when when people will get together and make games over a weekend, and then everybody plays each other's games at the end of a weekend. Uh, and it was really just made as something to be this thing that you could walk up to and think was funny and play it with whoever was standing beside you. So that's what it was like originally made as, and it's sort of just grown from that. Um, yeah, but that's the mechanics of it. So is it is it kind of a survival thing? Like, do you have to fight off uh, the attacks on a time limit or something? Or is there yeah. a goal at the, the end? The of first the... version was just, yeah, a time limit. You, or not a time limit, like, uh, like you have health. You'd always die. And it's however many bad guys you could kill before you die. Ah. Like an old arcade game. But now it's like levels. You rescue little space bunnies and find oh, the exit okay. and fight bosses and things. So. Yeah, so that's that's what it is. It, it's I mean, it's not it's not. I can't think of anything. It's not a deep game. It doesn't mean anything. It's it's a fun thing that is about working together and trying to talk to each other. And it's been fascinating through. to see. Um, I'm part uh, of. I've shown work and like been part of these this art festival in Toronto called Long Winter, mm. and um, one aspect of Long Winter that they commonly repeat is um, they'll have a gaming cabinet and somebody will set up an indie game that they've built um, inside the gaming cabinet um, and it's just existing at the art show and you can go up and you, you play a game about global warming or whatever yeah, fringe yeah. kind of cool thing that somebody's come up with. And uh, and then I saw the, the newest trend for like Ossington Street and stuff. It's like people have started to add arcade cabinets and stuff in the bars so that people have yeah, yeah. an access to games. And I was like... Boy, this is this would be such an awesome platform for like indie stuff. Like if you were distributing something like Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time, like you have a cabinet and you send it out and you know, like just put it in like Ozzy yeah, bars and yeah. stuff. People can get up and, and play it that, that way. That would be a dream. Like we've had, there've been a, a couple of, of crazy people on the internet like sending us that they are working on lovers in dangerous space and cabinets for like for themselves for like local festivals or whatever and it's just and the game's not even done and we're like oh my god now we can never make something good enough to be worthy of like this crazy cabinet that you've made it's um it's it's phenomenal like just internet man the internet and the enthusiasm um, of uh, of fans yeah yeah just like it's it's neat like compared like um feel like i don't know there's there's a dark side to you know game fandom too but it's it's really neat to be in this scene where people are hungry for like new content and they're into it and and they like you you make it and then people are like hungry for it and there's this you don't have to fight to like i mean you do you have to you have to you know showcase your stuff but like yeah this this it's it's awesome like this hunger for culture and stuff Mm -hmm. it's it's uh Compared to, I mean, I guess compared to um, illustration. Or? Yeah, well, illustration and doing like zines before, mm-hmm. like like it feels different. I guess it's just the timing of the market, like the maturity of the market, and 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 that. But it's it's neat. 
I think that that it's uh, it's just an aspect of 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 of, of making something that is aligning with yeah, the cultural yeah, interests and the timing. Like, there's nothing worse than being in a situation where, like, I, I imagine it would be a lot harder if I was a poet. Yeah, you know, just because of the the market and the timing and everything, like. Everyone's like, um, you know, why don't you become a rapper? It's like, well, I'll listen to it if it's if it's rap music. Yeah. Um, but you got to find this Venn diagram of like what you want to make and what people want to get. Uh-huh. And and luckily, like games are, are something that I'm interested in that people seem to be interested in. I don't know. Yeah, totally. I feel that way about podcasting um, because I was I was uh, I was working on a feature film or what was going to be like my first like attempt at a feature film. And it was a process where the screenplay went on for like three years and I was trying to make it as best as possible. And then I was going to start raising money. And I started reflecting on the, the fact that like, wait a minute, I don't watch indie features. I, I've become like resentful of anything over two hours long. <laughs> yeah. Even if it's like Peter Jackson's made a new Hobbit movie and he spent $200 million on it. It's got all these crazy effects that you watch. You're just like, Oh God, <laughs> make it stop. I, you know, like compared to, to, to game of Thrones, right? Where he's 40 yeah, minute yeah, episodes. Yeah. It's got characters. It's, it's interesting. Blah, blah, blah. I'm I'll watch that. But anything else that you're making, I'm a very tough customer. But what I do like is I spend an awful lot of time listening to podcasts. Yeah. Because what's, what's amazing about it is that if you're somebody who's doing a lot of rotoscoping, you're somebody who's working out at a gym, if you're somebody who's doing a mechanical job that you've kind of mastered and you can kind of turn your brain off, there's an opportunity with podcasts where people are going to whisper in your ear for three hours a day and they're going to teach you about like ancient Latin or like the medieval history or just like reflect on like what's going on in your city and in your scene. And I feel like that's uh, that's something that I get the same kind of vibe from when you were describing like people are hungry for it. People want more three-hour podcasts. Yeah, it's like they need to fill that vacuum from where they're like. Working. I mean, yeah, I listen to tons of podcasts, and and I guess maybe it's it's like it's the freelancer thing to do. I don't, I don't know. Like, um, like even from from outside of podcasts, it seems like in the last year it's been a crazy moment for podcasts. Is I, I don't know. Like at least serial and and and. Uh, do you, like do you listen to like the Gimlet Media stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, Startup, yeah, yeah, that was cute. Yeah, um, it's it's so much fun. And and like the Canada Land stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it feels like a moment. I don't know and I, from someone from the outside. I think that the thing that's the most powerful about it is that the 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 medium, especially if like you've subscribed to stuff in iTunes, it's just so easy. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the episodes just flow into your thing, and you get a little prompt saying like, "Oh, there's a new one." And you go. It's nice to hear from you, Joe Rogan, and you just press on yeah, the thing yeah. and it goes. What what do you use? What do you listen with? I listen on my iPad, so I just have like the podcasting okay. app for okay. like iTunes. the iOS one. Okay. I haven't yeah. tried Stitcher. Yeah. I think I look I linked um this podcast up to Stitcher and there's definitely you can see traffic coming from the UK or whatever. Okay. You're like, how the fuck did they yeah. find the thing? That's and awesome. It like bleeds in. In, in funny ways yeah. uh, now. My my friend Adam had this had this podcast podcatcher app called Podfisher and he, he had it from like I don't know five years ago mm-hmm. and it was like so bare bones but I used it for like years until the latest iOS it doesn't work anymore. Um, but yeah it yeah like it just works through all I think all these things just work through RSS yeah so I don't really know why there's not more tools 
but it's kind of like once Apple and Android kind of crack the thing, like why would you use anything yeah, else? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a startling kind of thing because um, I look at uh, the behavior that me and my girlfriend have been doing in the last like couple of years after listening to like Joe Rogan for a year, mm-hmm. you start to see like the nature box show up at your house and you start <laughs> to see like a kettlebell on your floor and you start to see like you're, you watched the jiu-jitsu finals and then you watch more UFC than you had and you kind of, you see like this tribal alignment that kind of happens like when you're listening to something that often and it's, and it's on a subconscious kind of thing. <laughs> and I was like, we need more of that in Toronto because there's lots of cool stuff happening here, but there's not really a center to it. And uh, people, like, given the opportunity, there was this great documentary um, on Africa and this small village where they have an internet connection there. So they can download any, like, Marvel movie uh, spectacle that they want yeah. if, they, if they had the interest. But instead what happens is, like, people got, like, some cheap video cameras off of eBay and they've been putting on their own little movie theater that are just movies that are shot and directed and starring <laughs> people in the village. And people show up every Friday night and they watch that's, these like that's awesome. Tribal kinds of things, yeah. like with just their friends and family in it. And I go like, isn't that an awesome alternative? Like there's there's always a kind of pushback from the monoculture, right? Where we all are kind of pulled and feel obligated to go see the Hobbit movie or the Marvel thing, but given the opportunity, it would be great to to see something that's just starring yeah, and it's, your it's, local friends. It makes me feel a lot better to see that kind of stuff and to see like the you know the local like lo- any any local community stuff happen. Um, like it's I can get lost in my head thinking about like you know the superstar system. And the internet's going to ruin everything because we'll all watch you know the one TV show and the one movie, which is sort of what we do. But there's all like the it's such a relief that to see people still engaged just you know going out and doing something together or or like listening to a podcast that's about their city like it's it's like it's a relief to me like because i I feel like it could so easily go um i mean everybody listens to serial which was awesome i thought it was awesome but it's like this one really local story but like the whole world listens to it it's it's strange um it's it's a weird I think the dark side to that story is that um, when we were going back a while ago when we were talking about the analytics of the internet and mass and and, yeah. and hits and viral stuff, I think that a lot of people are interested in that serial success yeah. because it was a serial success. Like it went viral and it got big and a lot of people discovered podcasts through that kind of channel. And I think that that's, that's the downside to to that thing is that there's a lot of people that are interested in it because it got famous and not yeah that's the point of it yeah that's like any media i guess once it has its thing uh the next minecraft uh, (laughs) i wonder what what it must be like to work in that minecraft studio yeah uh there was a documentary i haven't watched it yet uh have you did you watch it yeah was it interesting it's notch right the guy that yeah, notch yeah. Is the minecraft guy yeah it was all about um the week leading up to selling the company or something like that and it kind of showed sketches for the new games that they're working on and it was 
just a portrait of kind of like the startup experience like how it's it's kind of based in like a one room office and there's a bunch of networked computers together and we built this thing and it was a little idea and then it grew into a big idea and there's not really any expectation that it might be emulated okay because it doesn't seem like the notch guy knows like why it took off um (laughs) it, it it felt like his description of it was that it was kind of a beta thing that was supposed to be better and then people liked the way it looked and felt and all of the the pixel art kind of quality to it and yeah yeah cool <laughs> that's cool now that you've worked in um games this long is has the the curtain been kind of lifted on on stuff like minecraft like do you understand kind of like how it works and the amount of uh, programming that goes into it and like the scale of games it's now. you always when you're looking at other people's games you always feel like you understand oh yes i see how that is built um but you never i mean you never really notice all the intricacies that like are under that system to make it seem natural and obvious like mm-hmm. like um just like you you play a platform game and you're like oh yes i run and i jump and i can jump on goombas or whatever but it's easy to feel like you understand it but then there's always like so much like the phys- like the arc of the jump and the physics and, and just the way everything feels and how much iteration it needed to get the interface to that level like that you so you feel like you can understand stuff but you really don't see everything that's that's going on under it and if you tried to make something like that you'd run into all these hurdles and then you'd begin to understand what what goes into it so I f- I feel like I I can always keep that in my mind when I look at something and and uh, even if I can judge it on one, like sort of gauge, think about it on one level, there's that awareness that, of everything that, that's kind of underneath it. Um, so yeah, I have no idea how Minecraft. Like I, I, I like Minecraft's not a game that I follow um, regularly. Like I played it some, but I don't like keep tabs on yeah. its production. And I pl- I played it for like two hours just to because it's so easy to download. And yeah, you, yeah. You want to understand like what's kind of going on in the culture. Um, and then the more the thing that I found more fascinating about it is just watching the different YouTube videos of the, yeah. of the shit people have built that are yeah. obsessed with it. It's like a full scale Starship Enterprise. That that or, stuff starts to make me get like pull pull back and like oh I do three D models for work. I don't need to <laughs> like I don't need to watch someone make it out of cubes. Or or the the functioning computer that the person <laughs> built within Minecraft. <laughs> so meta that's crazy but i guess i mean i guess i played with lego i built i wanted to build you know the technodrome out of lego um <laughs> so that's like I, I can see where that's coming from i was trying to i was trying to um poke my my programmer friend's brain and see like now that we have a functioning digital a virtual pc within a game does that mean that you can do next level stuff up from that like you could build a version of minecraft like within minecraft <laughs> well a general purpose computer theoretically i suppose you could That'd be <laughs> and what does that mean for for like our, our our pocket computers does that mean like you could do a virtual version of a computer that's like your pocket computer is just a bunch of transistors and it's got enough memory that it can like produce this digital version of a of a of a memory card and and all of that stuff, or do we still need a tether to like the real world? I like how calculator apps still look like calculators, like <laughs> or the phone icons. Yeah, like, what yeah, do kids yeah. Make of phone icons. It's just a symbol now. But I guess I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of a of a analogous 
anything that we've got left over from horse. I'm trying to think of like horses. Do we have any horse symbols? Probably not. <laughs> horse but, power for cars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, I, did, did you play a game called Jazz Punk? No. Okay, it's another indie game out of Toronto. I was talking to one of the designers, and there's one puzzle. It's a spy game, and you're like this. It's in this weird, like, retro sort of future. And there's this one puzzle where the, there's a phone, you have to pick it up, and it's like an old fashioned phone, you have to dial the numbers. And when he showed it at shows, like, people wouldn't know what this object was that you had to, like, rotate. The, <laughs> they wouldn't know that that's the interaction, this rotation of the dial. Um, and it just. Yeah, it's pretty funny. It blew his mind. Yeah, um, it's just stuff you take for granted that you feel like is in the is in the vocabulary, but it's not anymore. It's it's um, moving very very quickly, and um, it's it's going to be weird to see people's brains rewire. Yeah, I I am so happy that I remember no internet. Like I, like I'm the last the, the last people that will remember no internet. Like that that's nuts. Um, I don't know what we did all day. <laughs> I remember, like, like just the idea of like knocking on your neighbor's door. Is is Jordan home? Like, that's that's uh, you know, just to have that. It's it's awesome. Like, I feel like it's an old fashioned memory. Like, even in my memory, it feels so old fashioned. Like, just to have that and have it be real. Like, we're the last people that will ever have that. It's, mm-hmm. That's that's really cool. It's really and, interesting. Oh, it's so bizarre. Like, I feel we touched on earlier in the thing, in the in the podcast about how the experience of making something and the experience of consuming something is very, very different, right? Where the making of the thing, you have like this imposter syndrome and you have like this arduous work that goes into making something that appears effortlessness, uh, effortless when you actually play it afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's bizarre to, to, to think about how in the future, like, as people have like more and more of a literacy about like how to make stuff and everybody becomes making becomes like part of the school system and everybody has their own little podcast or their own little movie that they've made. I wonder if the, the whole celebrity structure will be upended. You know what I mean? Where like we kind of acknowledge that, you know, no, Barack Obama is just a guy who goes to the bathroom like everybody else and he tries to do a job and yeah, James Cameron is just a guy. Like he's got a lot of really expensive equipment that allows him to make these big spectacles, but it's still there's a mechanics to it that are yeah, shared with everybody who does a project. Yeah, I don't know. Like I feel like there is something nice about having pop culture and stuff that is shared. Like we can we could talk about Game of Thrones, like right now, and, and because it's just this global pop culture thing that you can talk about and have this like instant conversation with strangers and that's kind of nice having having that to to tie together but but yeah to have the the local small stuff like the unique stuff as well i feel like it's nice to have both i can't i, I don't know like i feel like because all this because like what we're talking about like twitter's so measurable you can get data on all this stuff once you get to a certain like people already have people to write their tweets for them like that's not going to go away once it once you can analyze the success of your following and your your tweets and stuff like it it becomes a profession like mm. i can't imagine that that will decrease and and obama will be like no 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 i want to i want to 
write whatever I want. I don't care about like I don't care about you advisors. I'll just, be rock star president yeah, like yeah. from uh, Idiocracy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there. I'm going to play my, my metal guitar <laughs> solo for my presidential address this week. Um, yeah, I was kind of I was kind of hinting at like and the idea of like the dark side of like how quickly like something a little bit off can be like explode. Like that's mm. horrifying. Um, so I don't know that that fear I think will keep people pretty much from being too much of themselves i don't know mm-hmm. once you get once you hit a level sean uh my friend sean everingham was was recording with me last night and he was talking about um different google initiatives for life extension and for downloading your brain to computers oh, yeah. and he was talking about this one aspect um where both apple and google are in like a data harvesting frenzy right where they're there's a there's an aspect of something like the Apple Watch that can be looked at as purely a shrewd a device to start collecting biodata that's going to be used for like future projects. And so he was talking about how there's early, in the early they're in the early stages of having almost like uh, you remember in the Harry Potter books how there would be um, portraits of of people who were dead, mm-hmm. but you could talk to them and stuff, and they had kind of like a a. a a reverberation or like an, an echo of their personality yeah, yeah, yeah. An approximation of, of what their personality was like he was saying that google has a beta kind of version of that that's like been based on like all of your tweets all of your phone calls that are going through android all <laughs> of your pictures that you've uploaded where they're kind of assembling like a virtual version they kind of know what it would tweet like they kind of know what it would email like and they know what it kind of sounds like and that portrait, that digital portrait, is going to become more and more high res as as it harvests more data right. from like, the real person. And I was thinking, like, wouldn't that be funny if they offered a service where it's like a digital you, and it's an assistant to Matt Hamill, and he's going yeah. to <laughs> be in charge of like responding to fan mail and to um, doing menial tasks yeah. like rotoscoping and stuff, and you can like check in with it and stuff and yeah, yeah. give it instructions. And that's funny. I, I haven't thought about that, but yeah, that seems like we must be right on the verge of having that. Probably some people do have prototypes of that. Like, and where do the ethics of it? Like it, it's, it's an extension of you. So technically can you treat it like a slave? <laughs> can you, do you have to give it rights or anything? Like it's, it's from you. Uh, uh. But I was just imagining like uh, going away on vacation for six months and then coming back and you see that your digital self has been busy on yeah, the internet yeah. and making like, connections. I don't need you anymore, Jesse. <laughs> he set up like a whole um, new round of like podcast interviews and stuff that <laughs> you have to participate in later, and or or that the alternate version of me would have to participate in later. Like, don't need either of us. You can just have the interview happen mm-hmm. via via these digital the bots talking to one another have you ever seen that uh, that YouTube video where they take the two cell phones and they have the two series oh really talking to one another (laughs) I haven't seen that (laughs) just forms this infinite loop where they're like I don't understand can you repeat (laughs) the question I don't understand can you repeat the question (laughs) I wonder I wonder if they've caught that if there's a if there's a catch for that now Hello, hello, sister. Hello. So, what's next? Um, do you think that uh, your time is going to be? Do you have like a rough schedule of when everything is going to be finished on the, the current game? And mm. Do you start 
do you have like kind of a focus with your team where you absolutely can't talk about the next thing until like the the current thing is done or are you guys constantly developing uh, seeds for the thing that's going to come next mm, excuse me that's good um We've got seeds from... We've done a few game jams together in the past, and there's a whole bunch of leftover seeds from, like, those jams. Um, there's, like, been little things that I've been playing with over the last few years, I guess. We're we're keeping pretty much 100% on this game. It's it's uh, it's kind of like at the end of, end of a long run. You're just really just one leg in front of the other. We'll finish this thing. Um... We formed the company. It was sort of weird the way we, we were working on this game as a project. And then as it became more and more of a real project, we formed the company around the game. And we did all the sort of company stuff, all the legal stuff, corporation stuff. Um, so now we have this corporation where if the game does okay, we could maybe make another game if we're lucky. Um, which wasn't how we started the company at all. Mm. It, was, it was basically just to deliver this one thing and then we'd go off to our real lives when this was done. Um, but we would we would like to do more stuff, and we're sort of thinking like you know if 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 uh, Adam keeps working on like updates and stuff, and I prototype something else, and Jamie goes in between, and but it's it seems so hazy like because until it's so weird that all the work you put into this thing will become like a dollar number that will tell you whether or not you can make another one when it when it comes out. Um, but. Yeah, like we wanna we wanna make some more stuff, but everything's still in like really like sketchbook stages, like all of anything else. I've been finding that's that's a, a common story for a lot of new businesses, like post internet, where you if you're working at even a company like the size of Guru or whatever, um, there's more and more like a contracted staff that is kind of there for the project. And then you've got your two or three producers that are like the backbone of the thing. And if there's not a project going on, everything collapses mm-hmm. back down to just being laptops and yeah. the office is, is leased. Yeah. And there's the, we have a logo and we have some, some brain trust at the center of it. And then this thing can like expand out and turn into a thing. Yeah. And like collapse breathing back down. Like thing. Yeah. Um, I love working like that. I like if I, there was a time um, when I was at Guru, we were like in between projects and we weren't really working on anything. So we were doing some independent projects. And like that's, for me, that's the most stressful time is to not have like a big thing that you're always like not having those gears engaged. You know, always working on something. Um, so I love going project to project, but it's, it's yeah, like more and more like it seems like everything's going like that. And that's sort of worrying when you think about that on a broader sort of society thing. Um, yeah, but for me, it's good. <laughs> because at the if, at the center, if you ever find yourself in a company with employees, like one of the, the, the stresses of having that situation is that there is a responsibility where like you don't want to lay people off and mm-hmm. have them um, counting on you to like pay the, the bills each yeah, time and stuff. Yeah. Um, I, wonder, I wonder if something has to change about our our school system to like better prepare people for for that kind of world yeah like Like, there's something funny about 
I, I wouldn't have been able to call it, but there was something about Sheridan Illustration that kind of... The fact that you, you got to see an example contract and you got to like at least look at, like, this is this is the kind of structure of your of your working life it's going to be this you get a contract you read it you like work on a job and you finish the contract and you send an invoice like like having that even though when you're in school and you learn that stuff it feels like so foreign and you're really nervous to talk about contracts like especially at the start but having that exposure to it yeah it really did prepare me for for the way I've worked in animation and games and uh, embedded deep in that like when we were first going to school it was an alternative uh, career path where you go like oh t- this is this is something different than working in a factory at, at Ford Motor Company where you're going to get a union card and mm-hmm. the, the promise mm-hmm. that they'll pay you for 25 years to get really good at this job instead it, it's it, the onus is on like okay you're going off into the wild west you're going to be able to tr- try and hunt for customers for this thing that you've designed. Yeah, um, they kind of they instill the startup spirit in you like right away. Yeah, yeah. Say. Branding, like, you, what's your branding? Like, oh god, I don't have a brand. I'm an artist, but, but yeah, yeah. Um, it seems like more and more industries are becoming like that, which is which is kind of weird, and and it means that other things that we have set up the way like benefits and things work you know that doesn't really carry over too well to to a model like that but well i think that it just gives the government something to do i mean um there's been a lot of critique over the last 25 years about examining what exactly the role of the government should be but i feel like it's obvious now what it should be because we all have an expectation or an idea about like what job security kind of means it's like it's a promise that um, if you show up and you're working and stuff, you should expect that you're not going to starve to death. Yeah. You should expect that um, it's inappropriate in a country as rich as ours that there should be anybody who falls like too far yeah. behind. And so I feel like the government can, um, if if we all agree that like there should be a certain amount of money that we put towards our retirement and our RSPs. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain like standard of living that every person, yeah, basic have, income like, or something, dignity. Like, that, yeah. like we should t- just have like a basic income of like ten grand or whatever. That's as far as you yeah. can fall down. Um, you have a certain level of taxation that you're required to pay as a citizen, and you've got uh, benefits like everything. Everything that's basic should just be handled like healthcare, right? Where it's just a part of being a citizen is that you've got a little bit yeah, of money like, that comes in, a little bit. Of this thing we this one, on one hand we take healthcare for total granted like that it should be free and and everything but there's all these other things that think about it you can't really i can't really figure out why healthcare is free but dentist is not well, it used to be like, it used to be part of ohip and then they got rid of it under mike harris like what why like what's there's no dividing line other than cost and uh, for some people that's you know i don't know you won't get any argument from me anyway about about basic income or anything like that it's it's totally the 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 conservative argument against it is that like people need incentives to do things and i feel the opposite i feel like when you give people a certain amount of comfort that they know they're not going to starve to death they're more likely yeah. to do generous things like start a company yeah like like, like, like the only or, the only way the three of us could start this company which which you know if it's successful we could you know theoretically create jobs and work and economy and whatever but the only reason we could do this is because we're all lucky enough that if we fail, we could go live with our parents and like nothing really bad will happen to us. Um, 
but yeah, you need that cushion. Otherwise, I, you know, you can't do it. And J.K. Rowling is is a, a big advocate of that same story. Like she was on benefits and stuff in the U.K. as a single mother, and the only way she was allowed to be able to write Harry Potter is that she didn't have to take a job working as a waitress or whatever and pay yeah. a nanny. Like she could just get a little bit of money to allow her the space to figure out what the path is forward and how she could. Yeah, it's really easy when something. like me. I I love working, and it's really easy for me to be like, well, of course, if I. Even if I if even if I had some basic income, I'd still do work. I love working. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's different for if you really don't like doing I things. I don't think it's different at all I for anybody. I think that the most common aspect of humans, for whatever reason, is we'll be riding on a bus beside seventy-five other people, and they're just the other. They're like some bunch of dorks, some bunch <laughs> of dummies that I'm that I'm surrounded by. But every single person that I've taken the time to speak to is creative and interesting and has passions and and all that regardless of whether they work in a hospital or a bar or, or whatever it is so i really feel like it's just this this monkey tribe number thing where we can't process more than like 150 people to care about them <laughs> enough to see the genius that's inside them all mm-hmm. that's kind of my take on it i, th- I feel like uh if we trust in people and we give them the opportunities to do cool stuff they will do cool stuff yeah, I'm, I buy it. <laughs> so we're approaching two hours. Um, I'm going to probably let you go soon. Um, the uh, I've been playing with this idea of like anti-advertising lately because so many of my favorite podcasts have been corrupted by like, <laughs> fucking ads. It used to be all right at first because like Joe Rogan and uh, Duncan Trussell and stuff would go off the script and they would have just these awful um, tirades about like you know how amazon will allow you to like never see human beings and you can just like keep yourself locked in your bedroom like howard hughes and collecting your urine and you avoid all of the the, the plebs and stuff on the street level by not having to go to the store and i love that but now they've reined them in and now they're totally on the script for each thing because i guess there's uh, enough podcasts now that you go, yeah we'll yeah. take away that six grand you better yeah. do as we say so i've been playing with the idea of of what the opposite of that would be and I've been kind of putting towards people, uh, like if you were to do a prompt, like if you were to um, be in front of a class and somebody was saying, I want to uh, take steps into doing uh, the kind of work that you do, what would be like the, the first step that somebody could do to break out of a, out of a rut and like try to make something for a community or make um, an art kind of thing? Make an art kind of thing get a blog and put your work on the internet i don't know um for me it was mind-blowing learning that i learning that i could program and that it's not like a magical thing that only programmers can do like that was mind-blowing for me as as an artist uh there's like there's so many tutorials and things about learning game engines different game engines um one of the things mit's got this free like uh, computer science uh, lecture series that, that's on what's it open courseware computer science 600 something like that oh crazy um, and you learn Python it's the language and it's just video lectures of like you know man in front of a class of people like giving a lecture on on programming and so like watching that you feel like okay I'm a student I'm gonna learn <laughs> uh, and it's just yeah I learned a lot of programming from that lecture 
like that series of lectures and there's like homework and things. Is that what you meant by like talking about some, some first step or I what just, do you well, mean? Well, it could be as simple. But that like, was, that I, was, I, that I, was not anti-advertising. That was like recommending something. Oh, oh totally. Um, but it's, what it is, is it's a, a spark or um, an initiative, a, a first step that people can take towards like going into a broader world of something that make, might help them like lead to more self-expression. Mm. I've been finding that like what the onus of advertising is nowadays is like, can you take a captive audience that's, that's, that's been made a promise of a certain thing? Can you interrupt them with a message that's completely untailored to what their interests might be? and is trying to encourage them into doing something they might not care about that makes them more conforming. And the opposite of that would be like, what can you do that encourages people to take initiative okay. and like wake up and go, all right, go, go outside and like take a walk around a block near your place that you don't normally walk around and like look at the bushes or something. I don't know. It's <laughs> a lot of pressure. <laughs> I, I really got to send out a, 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 pro, a, a prompt email uh, earlier on in the week before people come on where they can prepare because I always get the same reaction they're like whoa that's heavy I don't know what to say to people um, um, but yeah I, I, what I would expect you to uh, recommend like based on the earlier yeah tell me tell me, tell me like, what I should recommend well I think that what was kind of the uh, the um, the the seed of everything you're doing now seems to have been those early uh, adventure maps that you're drawing out on paper and how like it's funny how a, a little idea like that can fill a whole life eventually um i think that there's there's not enough of that kind of going on like we we think of kids are going to be growing up now with like a digital version of what a map is right mm -hmm. you can google maps <laughs> and it's it's like the phone book it's like reading the phone book it's it's, it's the precise coordinates and photos of a place and it doesn't have that human kind of layer on it. So I think that it would be so interesting to, for, for little kids and things or people who are right at the, the start of, of imagining their world is the kind of picture everything. Like Alan Moore has this great idea of, of this, um, this alternative geography that exists in the world where um, it's not just like the statistics of the places and the names of the things and the history that went on there. But there's a whole other geography that's laid on top of that that exists in the minds of the people that lived in those areas. Where, like, you know, High Park is a collection of, of local plants and, and paths and things like that. But there's all sorts of people that have stories about High Park. And it's not just a tree. It's that's the tree that I had my first kiss under. Or that's the tree that, you know, fell on my neighbor and he ended up... <laughs> dying in this accident or you know <laughs> Those there's are bones right there there's like a whole uh cerebral geography that exists in a place and i feel like that would be a really interesting thing for everybody to start contributing to it's like what is the geography of your neighborhood and how can you document that for people i think that that would be a really cool project that would be a really cool project <laughs> And we can we can like hook that up to Google Maps yeah, so like you can put yeah, like the yeah. cerebral and can, like, geography. Zoom in and like street view it and and yeah. HUD HUD it with your Oculus. What do these places mean to the people in your family? And it has like a list of all these stories. Like this is the bar that I got in a fight in and I lost my front tooth and that's why I look the way I do. <laughs> oh, that's that's rad. Yeah.
Okay, cool. So if people want to connect with you or like learn more about your projects and stuff, like what are the, the places um, you should go to? Uh, well, there's matthamill.com. Uh, that's my regular sort of old old website. I don't think I've updated it in like two years because now I'm on asteroidbase.com, which is nice. the site for the, the game that I'm working on. Uh, Twitter is at matthamill. Email is matt at matthamill.com. Not to be confused with Matt the Hammer Hamill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fighter. yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a time like where you, I, I would search for myself and all I would get is him. And I, this guy, man, it's this lousy famous. guy. Uh, but but hopefully like over the long run, like how, how long can a career last in the UFC? Oh, he's 38 he, now, he, so he's, he, on, he's on okay, the back Okay, good. End. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> You're just coming up. <laughs> You'll be in trouble if he decides to go into the gaming business. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, Changing your name at this point is not. No, no. I, I think, yeah. Yeah. At least, at least I got the dot com. There we go. <laughs> Bravo. Well, congratulations on going the distance. Uh, <laughs> cheers. We have to figure out your theme music too. Ooh, theme music. Do I get to do I get to pick a theme music or do you yeah. do you choose the theme music? No, you get to pick. What's my theme music? What do people choose for their theme music? Anything they want. It usually works best as like a guilty pleasure versus Oh, okay. Cuz sometimes uh, I find like when we're talking about music in public, like you can kind of start to censor and you go like, "Oh, that's okay. not, not cool enough." <laughs> all right, all right. All right. Oh jeez, I'm already thinking about it. Okay, well, my first reaction was going to be Les Miserables, so uh, pick something from Les Mis. <laughs> yeah. which, uh, um, which is your favorite character? Oh, my favorite character is probably Javert. Uh, I like Jean Valjean. Probably Javert. Uh, Were you disappointed by the movie? Yes, yes, yes. It was weird, eh? Are you, are you into Les Mis? Like, I, did you see it? I, had, uh, I was more of a Phantom of the Opera guy when okay, I was a kid. Okay, I was into Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, you could pick Phantom of the Opera. I love Phantom of the Opera. Cool. Yeah. I liked to, Point I liked of No to, Return is the one from Phantom of the Opera. Nice. I liked to, I liked the Phantom stuff, and it, it, it kind of made me curious about like the other phenomenons. You remember like in 1984 or something? And, like Miss Saigon. For, and, like, for, uh, for yeah, live theater. Yeah. All of that stuff was dominating. On the radio, you'd hear all these ads for, for, for yeah, Miss, what was it? it was, was that around Rent and Miss Saigon? And, and it's another one. I can't remember. The Cats. And Phantom Cats. Uh, Joseph. <laughs> Those are good days. And uh, there was something about it that, I don't know, the, the latest like version where they tried to turn it into a movie, it was weird because, I don't know, like I, I remember I, I talked to a lot of people who were hardcore Les Mis fans, and they had a hard time getting over Russell Crowe was like the Russell Crowe is a, a sticking point a bit because it was in the original production was he an amazing singer or something like that, um, that yeah thing? yeah yeah like he's in really like sort of crisp and upright and, and stiff and sort of the like sort of an opery opera-y kind of like really crisp and proper uh, so that's I mean that's just the impression you sort of stick with um I mean, anybody who loves anything that a movie is based on, it's almost never as good. Except for Ghost World. That's, that's an awesome mm. movie. But, yeah. For me, I think I think with Les Mis, it was also the direct... Like, every shot is, like, so close up. But, like, you never get any establishing shots or any, like, breathing. Like, the pacing is always, like, uh, full-on, like, 100% intense. Yeah. Like, 
I feel like there's never that rhythm of like stepping back. Which, I mean, when it's a play, you see like 10 characters at a time, and maybe it's. You get this sense of it more as, as this sort of mess of all these characters interacting. Because right. that's what the story is it's like this mess of a dozen characters um, getting tangled up with yeah. each other. I felt like because my only experience of the story is from the film version, I totally didn't get it. Like, I came away from it with the idea of, wait a minute, this cop has been pursuing this guy for <laughs> yeah, stealing fucking... Why has he got such a hard-on for this, like, uh, this uh, I showed it, character? We showed the movie to Jamie, who's never seen... He's, who's one of the partners, and he's never seen it before. And he was like, what? This is Les Mis? It's just, like, a weird story about, like, how much time has gone by? Wait a minute, what? And wait, Which, they all died? Yeah. And they're celebrating that they're and all dead? You and, can sort of get away with, like, oh, ten years have passed in the, in the, in the stage play, or, like, one day has passed. And it's, it's sort of like this... Um, amorphous thing that could be many years or could be a day and it's sort of okay because mm-hmm. it's just all on the stage and characters are coming on and off the stage but as a movie it feels different and there was something uh there was something because it's all these hollywood stars that are involved in it yeah your expectation is kind of like oh, okay things have got to turn all right in the end right yeah, things yeah. are going to be okay but instead it seems like the story is is mainly like a portrait of how awful revolutionary France yeah, was yeah. and how you should, there's something poetic about that and how yeah, you know, and the struggle of, I, I read people. the book and that's totally what it is. It's just, here's a dreary little mini story about this woman's life. Now we're starting the other dreary story about this guy's life. And here, let's, let's take an aside to go into this dreary little history of this war and like, and by just, the way, if you thought the authority figures are happy, they're not, no one's happy. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I freaking love that musical. <laughs> I wonder if that's ever going to trickle through into. Yeah, oh work. man, like I would. I wanted to do a, a space opera game, like with singing and stuff, but I haven't. I haven't been able to. Haven't been able to put that together yet. Yeah, no one's. No one's made the connection there. They yeah. call it space opera, but where's <laughs> the singing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ziggy Stardust kind of kind of somehow I don't know how that would be a game it's kind of like you don't want it to be a game you just want to experience this thing I don't know my my instincts and ideas for games I've kind of reconciled myself to the fact that like I would probably just make a version of the thing that I like in After Effects I'd spend like a (laughs) month on it and make something that doesn't work and it's just a video of the thing that I think would be cool and you just put it on the internet and then that itself becomes like thing yeah like, and you go on about like how i worked on this for six you tell a lie about how i worked on this game for two years <laughs> and then my house burnt down and now all the files are lost yeah and this people is go only- crazy for yeah. <laughs> we can rebuild it cool it's, it's getting hot it's pretty warm is it from the, the lamps or the 